the Mess It Up Podcast, where we take your mess and turn it into a message. And now, here's the Bowtie Guy. Hey, welcome to the Mess It Up Podcast. I am Paul, the Bowtie Guy, and I'm here today with uh, a friend, and uh, I'm going to let her introduce herself, so go ahead and say hi to the world. Well, hello, my name is Mariah Muncie, and it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I uh, met Mariah doing worship at church, which is uh, kind of the story of a lot of the people who show up on here, uh, because that's where I tend to meet people is at church or doing worship. And uh, Mariah, you are, um, well, you started off just being keyboard vocalist, guitar kind of things, or did you Jack just of all trade. Yeah, and now you just sort of as... Uh, People on the top have uh, gone in other directions. You've just kind of bubbled up and are now guiding things for worship on Sunday mornings. Yeah, I get to be the music director here, and it's really just such a pleasure doing that. Um, I oversee most of the worship facets at the church and get to work with a lot of different teams like yours at CR. <laughs> cool. And so uh, when I first met you, you were fairly young. I think you had just kind of come back from being away at college or something like that, but I mean, you're still, by my terms, fairly young uh, human being because you're still in your 20s, and I'm thinking early 20s, too. I was 20 when I first got here. Okay. All right. So um, what is it like being in charge? Because most of the people that you are in charge of are older than you. How is that for you? It was very intimidating at first uh, when I was first asked to come under as the second-hand man for the team. Uh, I had a lot of struggles with telling people who were older than me how I thought they should be doing things. Because <laughs> um, if you know too many people who are older than you, you know that they seem to think that they know a little more. Um, so it was a big struggle at first, uh, wrestling with that, mostly internally. Right. Um, I assumed people thought I was incompetent and unable to do my job, but then through uh, encouragement from others, from reading scripture, you know, it really did encourage me that I'm in this place and in this position for a reason. Right. And I'm doing everyone on my team a disservice if I'm unconfident in my own purpose. Right. When I when I first came back to Ridgecrest as a teacher, um, my I worked at one school for just a few months to finish out a year, and then I got my permanent position at a school, and it was the school where I went to school. And three of the people who were there were teachers when I was a student. And one of them was my teacher as a fourth grade student. And trying to deal with working with these people who had been, you know, the grown-ups when I was a kid and now working as a peer, it was never a problem for them. Always a problem for me to, to do it. And it was still really, it took years before I could call them by their first name. I was calling everybody else first name. And... Everybody else, you know, or the, for those people, it was always Mr. or Mrs. whatever, because it was, I just, it was tricky for me. And it was my own um, self-doubt that, that did that. I And eventually I got the confidence to do it and the world didn't blow up and the birds <laughs> sang the next day and it was okay. But that getting over that hump can be really, really tricky. So, um, so we met, you're doing the, uh, the uh, music thing and then... Big event happens in your life, and I'm not talking about getting married or meeting your husband. I'm talking about all of a sudden you get sick and tell the people just a little bit about how that started because you didn't know exactly what was going on at first, I'm guessing. 
Yes, so it kind of does tie into meeting my husband because uh, it all happened on a camping trip, as I'd found out later. Um, so about a month after I got married, I slowly was losing the ability to walk. Um, my joints hurt really badly. I remember very vividly one day I came home from work for lunch, got back in the car, and cried all the way to work because my knees were hurting. And that was the first day that started it all. The next night I was up all night long, uh, sobbing in pain from my knees. And it was so weird. Had no idea what was going on. And I'm guessing as a young person, that's not something, I mean, as older people, we get joint pain and that kind of stuff. But I'm guessing this was not something that was common for you to have joint pain. This is not on any 21 year old's radar. Right. And uh, you are by no means a large person. So it's not like you were carrying a lot of extra weight or did stuff. You were, you're a pretty tiny person. No, the closest pain I could say was when I was in high school, I punctured a bursa in my knee playing uh, tackle football, uh -huh. much to my mother's <laughs> <laughs> despise. Um, yeah. But that was the closest pain I could relate it to was just excruciating pain. And I can't imagine anything. Yeah. Um, it's so, just unnatural. So did this pain kind of sneak up on you or was it just like, boom, it was there? Um, I distinctly remember that day because it was boom there. It wow. literally happened as I was climbing into my car and I assumed maybe I hit my knee on something. Maybe I just bent my knee really weird. But um, yeah, it was very sudden. Wow. And so was that... Um scary? Were you worried, like, what have I done? Um, I, I, I don't know if I'm, you know, if this is just a, a trauma injury or something like that. Was there concern? Or was it just like, man, this hurts and I wanted to stop hurting? I started with just like, oh, geez, this is inconvenient. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but when it kept me up all night long and my husband was like, hey, do we need to go to the ER? Because I've never seen you in this kind of pain. That's when I started to get concerned. Um, and, you know, sometimes your brain tells you, like, this is not normal. This right. is not good. My and brain I tells was... me that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was getting definite <laughs> signals that night that was something is seriously wrong. This is not something simple. Right. And so then what was the medical process that you went through to get to some sort of healing? So, or, or at least knowledge. I guess a diagnosis would be the first thing you needed to get. Yeah, from that day started a six-month journey of finding our diagnosis. I went to neurologists and orthopedic surgeons and all kinds of people, and every day I was just getting a little worse. I was moving slower. I was, most people described my walk at the time um, to an 80-year-old woman. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> you looked like uh, Tim Conway shuffling along. It was just these little itty-bitty steps. Yeah. So it got really, really bad. And I was going to doctors, but a lot of them were kicking it back saying, hey, your labs look great. You are a healthy 21-year-old yeah. woman. Don't know what's wrong with you. And it was really frustrating. I remember the second-to-last doctor that I saw I left just sobbing because he told me uh, he was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that I had an abusive husband uh -huh. and that I was dealing with that and coping with that with a fear of walking. Oh, okay. 
Which didn't explain all the other symptoms that were also going on at the same time. So this is basically saying this is in your head because of some other trauma. Yeah, so it was basically, hey, you're kind of crazy. You should go see a psychiatrist because you're losing it. And I I can't imagine... I mean, you said frustration, and that's what I was thinking, that that would just be after day after day after day of this just frustrating. I know that I've had... Um, I, I cut myself on a saw one time, and so I had my finger was numb for years mm-hmm. uh, because of the nerve damage. And just that little bit of something, and it's not getting better, was driving me crazy. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine immense pain and then no answers. Because I knew at least I had an answer. This is why. But you've got no answers. It was incredibly frustrating. Um, it was frustrating being told that you're crazy. It's frustrating mm-hmm. um, to take the same blood tests over and over and over again and your doctor look at you and say hey you're a healthy 21 year old and it's incredibly frustrating being a quote-unquote healthy 21 year old who just got married a few months ago and you're not even able to walk and spend that time with your husband right and so what how did what did you do with I mean just psychologically mentally spiritually how did you deal with the day-to-dayness of it. You wake up and it's just like Groundhog Day. Um, some days were some days were okay. Um, some days I came to terms with, you know what, this is my situation right now, and we're just going to trust God and we're going to power through and it'll be fine. Um, and then some days were meltdowns mm-hmm. um, just because of the confusion and why me. Um, one of the hardest days was when I sat down with my husband and we talked about it and I told him, I was like, we're not getting a diagnosis. Um, I'm worse every day. I want to tell you now I love you because I don't know if I'm going to be here next year. Yeah. And so was, was the pain dealing with the pain and the, 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 the symptoms of everything that's going on, was that a more difficult journey or was it the, the not knowing, the lack of diagnosis, did that become worse than the pain? I would say the lack of diagnosis was the frustrating part because if you at least have a diagnosis, you can like, even if there's no cure, I can mm-hmm. say, this is what I have. So that sure. was definitely frustrating. Um, the part that really hurt me the worst wasn't the joint pain or the misdiagnosis. Um, Lyme disease, or kind of blew the diagnosis yeah. reveal, yeah. but... What I had, uh, specifically as it gets worse, targets your neurological side. Um, So what was really killing me was I was losing my short-term memory. Um, I came to Jason, who was leading the worship team at the time, and I sat him down and I was like, hey, I want to keep playing. I need to keep playing for my own mental well-being. I have to be able to get out of the house sometimes. Um, But I can't learn new songs. Yeah. And I remembered he wanted me to learn one song and I listened to it 10 times in a row, listened to it, listened to it, was like, cool, now I'm going to sing it. And I couldn't remember anything and I played it and I was like, I've never heard this song before. Uh. And that was the moment that killed me because music was such a big passion for me and I felt like I was losing that as well as everything else in my life. Yeah. And so, like you said, you eventually got your diagnosis. How long did it take before you got a diagnosis? Uh, It would be about six months from when the knee pain started. Mm -hmm. Later on, I was able to connect that I had been sick for another eight months before that. Okay. So total time was about 14 months. And uh, was it a new doctor who came from out of the blue or was it just 
the series of things and eradicating, eliminating options that got you to where you finally got your diagnosis? So he came into play when I had basically given up. I was like, I'm not going to get a diagnosis because doctors don't believe me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had pretty much told my mom, who was really working hard with me at the time to help me find a doctor, find a diagnosis, and help me through the process. I told her, I was like, I will see one more specialist. And I don't care. <laughs> like, if he gives me nothing, I will just deal with it. And maybe it'll go away. Maybe I'll die. Who cares? Yeah. Because um, that's the point I was at. And uh, a friend reached out to me the same week that one of my mom's friends reached out to her. And both of them were like, hey, I've seen a little bit on Facebook of what's going on. Could you explain a little more? And we both separately, not knowing that we're both having these conversations, were like, here's what's going on. Both of them sent back, hey, we think you have Lyme disease. You should see a Lyme literate doctor. Okay. A Lyme literate doctor? Yes. It's okay. A, it's their own special breed. Yeah. So they they know what's going on with this. And I, is that, I mean, I, it's not a specialty, but that's just, they're aware of this kind of thing and they, they believe you. Very much so. Um, especially on the West Coast, Lyme literate doctors are very important for people like me because the general thought process in the medical community to this day uh -huh. is that Lyme disease only happens on the East Coast. Really? Um, and so why is that? That's where it started. Okay. That's where initially you saw Lyme patients. That's where um, most people do contract the disease, but now it has been proven scientifically through the, and acknowledged by the CDC that it is in 49 out of 50 states. Wow. Um, and it is now traveling across the world. Where's your safe state? Um, I'm trying to remember. I believe it's Alaska. Alaska. It's either Alaska okay. or Hawaii, or, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think Alaska. Okay. Um, but... So in 49 out of 50 states, you can contract it, but most doctors don't believe that you can. So Lyme literate doctors are aware of this. They're actively testing for it. Um, they treat a little more severely than most doctors, even if the doctor does acknowledge that you have Lyme disease, um, because there is a lot of controversy about how to treat um, and whether or not chronic Lyme, which is what I've been diagnosed with, whether that exists or not. Okay, and so and, and that was my understanding, and I'm fairly illiterate about it and ignorant, but my understanding of it was it's not a thing that you... I've seen this movie, but... Sure, that's funny. <laughs> it may have struck me when I heard this... So that was interesting. We, we, we got a little bit of extra from a previous show that just jumped in there. That was really super fun. Uh, but I thought it was kind of like... Um, I just assumed it was chronic. I didn't know that it was that there was a non-chronic option for it. I just thought, once in, you've got it, and it's a matter of managing it. See, that's the opposite of what most of the medical community believes. They believe two weeks of doxycycline, uh, which is the same medication you use for acne, uh -huh. two weeks of that, and bada-bing, bada-boom, you should be good. Go on your merry way, uh -huh. um, which is not the case for 99% of people who have contracted Lyme disease. And is it a viral uh, condition? Bacterial. Bacterial. Um, so it is a spirochete bacteria. Closest rela relation is syphilis okay. um, as far as the type of bacteria. Uh, and what it does is it burrows into your soft tissue and eats away at your soft tissue. Okay. 
Wow. And so uh, you are now probably much more of an expert on this than you ever thought you would be as uh, a student. You probably didn't think you were going to delve into medical things. I was very adamant that I did not want to go into the medical field whatsoever. I still am very adamant that I don't want to go into the medical field, but uh, yes, I'm well versed in this specifically. Outstanding. Well, and I got involved in this and I completely forgot several things as we jumped into the show. I forgot to say that our word of the week is predilection. And so I have a predilection for forgetting things. And a predilection is just a bias towards something, a, a tendency to do things. So if you can use that in your sentences, uh, this week, give yourself 10 points uh, each time you use it. Uh, but also I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking, wow, we've talked a long time and I really want to jump into this song that you brought because Mariah brought a song of the week. And um, can you tell the people, uh, the band and the song that we're about to hear? So the song is called Creature and uh -huh. it's by Half Alive. All right. Half Alive. I think that's just such a funny, funny name because uh, there's a lot going on with that. But we're going to listen to this. We'll take a break. On the other side, we'll let you know what we thought about this. And we'll see you in about 90 seconds. Caverns, but it still feels like a maze. I know I'm made of clay. That's why I by imperfect force. I will trust the artist molding me. I am creation, both haunted and holy, made in glory. Even the depths of the night cannot blind me when you guide me. my heart and find a perilous ravine carved within the beauty the darkness in between standing in the balance of complete and incomplete i identify the echo of what is and what will be band for me when Mariah came to me uh, yesterday in church she said I've got a song that I want to do and uh, she seemed very definite about it so I'm like awesome cool I love for the guests to bring the song and so I went and listened to it and I was like when she told me I didn't know it was one of those things I don't know if the band is creature if the band is half alive uh, which is which and so I went the wrong direction first and found different stuff so I'm like well it must be half alive and so uh, tell them how you you because I was just talking to you about how you found the band uh, Tell us how you you've came to know this band. So just scrolling down my recommendation feed on YouTube, and it's really funny because I don't even really listen to music on YouTube that often. Um, but for some reason that day, my recommendation feed was full of music. And I saw a music video for one of their videos, and I was like, oh, that seems cool. Listened to it, instantly fell in love with their vibe. Um, went on my phone to Apple Music where I do listen to music <laughs> and downloaded all of their stuff and was listening and I was like, hey, I think this is a Christian band. But I looked it up and didn't really see anything and I was like, hmm, I'm gonna look into the lyrics a little more and beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is, you know, obviously one of their staple points is being 
Christians. Um, however, their music caters to both, which I think is really cool. Yeah, yeah. So not uh, straightforward Christian music, but music by Christians with Christian uh, meanings. And, and I haven't explored their catalog, but when you look at the lyrics of this song, it like you said, it's there's not a whole lot of doubt in oh, yeah. there about what's going on uh, with it. So what stands out on, on this song for you? So you had told me what we were talking about um, prior to picking out the song. So when I was looking at it, I was like, what's a good song that kind of represents the mindset that I had throughout my journey? And in the, I think you would call it the pre-chorus, it says, I know I'm made of clay that's worn, blighted by imperfect form, I will trust the artist molding me. And that really was the saving grace throughout all of it was trusting God. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I know I'm imperfect, both in my mental, my physical, every area facet of my life at that point, I was like very well aware was imperfect. Um, So really leaning into that trust of the creator, the artist that was molding my life. And that's a difficult thing for me, that trust, because um, I get caught in the meanings of the word. But for me, I feel like sometimes, well, I trust God, but I don't like what he's doing or what he's allowing to happen for now. And I, I'm, I think I'm more impatient than I am untrusting. I think the trust is not too bad, but the patience for me is super tricky because it's like, I want to be better now and yeah. and the, there's a lyric here that says, um, "Look inside my heart and fi- uh, find a perilous ravine, carved within the beauty and the darkness in between." And I think about those dark times. Uh, there's another spot in here that talks about um, oh, man. I just had it. And there's so many words here, but he talk. They talk about the uh, the darkness and and waiting for, oh, even the depths of night cannot blind me when you guide me. And that's where I get, because for me, the nights are the hardest times Mm -hmm. of my life, Uh, especially, you know, my wife has been gone uh, visiting family now for uh, a couple of weeks. And then she was gone a couple of weeks before that. And this year, you know, um, she's been back visiting family a lot. And so I've been going solo and I do great when the sun shines up, but when the the sun goes down and it's nighttime and I'm up and I'm watching TV, I have to be so particular about what I watch so I don't watch anything that gets too sappy and make me sad or too scary and make me lonely and just all these things and it's just so difficult to get through and I know, I trust God will do it, but I don't want to have to wait for the next six, seven hours until the sun comes up and it's, it's better again. Um, and so that really, it really strikes me. So, you know, uh, th- this is a kind of a song that frustrates me because like, Oh, you said what I've thought. And I don't know why I haven't said that yet because I've thought it for so many years. I want to be able to do that, but I can't, it's oh, not yeah. my thing. And, and so songs like this are wonderfully frustrating to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and it's got a, this is a completely different vibe than music that I would typically listen to because I'm what a lot of people consider to be an old fart. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I've turned kind of stodgy. I was watching the uh, 
the halftime show yesterday and just being an old man and like, oh, this is not music. This is just blah, blah, blah. And I felt myself being old. And I was like, oh, man, you've gotten old, dude. You, you got you to gotta young up a little bit. So this younged me up a little bit. So I thank you. That's why I need to hang out with more young people so I don't <laughs> get as old uh, as I am. But um, See, I can pull very closely with what you were just saying about the dark times and impatience. And I can tell you I am one of the most impatient people. You don't see it a lot because I hide it. Right. But I am a very impatient person. I like things to be done when I want them done. And so Lyme was a very big uh, exercise in patience because it was something that lasted over a year. Um, and, and you're at its mercy. You are. You are completely at the mercy of the little bacteria <laughs> bugs eating you. Um, so I remember someone came up to me one time and they were like, haven't you been praying for healing? Mm. I was like, well, yeah, of course I have. And they were like, well, then why aren't you healed? Which I think is a loaded question, but yes. whatever. Um, it's a great way of saying you have no faith. And I, I, it really struck me was that in their mind, faith was seeing it happen instantaneously. And for me at that point, faith was trusting no matter what my situation was, whether God intended for me to have Lyme for the rest of my life or to heal me miraculously, mm -hmm. that I trusted the path that right. he had for me and right. lived in patience, not of my own patience, because I had none, but I really did have a peace and God-filled patience mm -hmm. of whatever happens is happening because God has a plan for my life. Right. So uh, we talked earlier about you doing the old man shuffle going across or old lady shuffle. Uh, and uh, as we're recording here, we're sitting in what I call a crow's nest at the church, which is a little upstairs uh, booth above the uh, auditorium. And so I could hear, I couldn't see uh, because there's a little bit of a wall, but I could hear Mariah coming and I could tell she was kind of, half running to get here. So there was no shuffle. So talk to us now. I, I don't want to say post line, but on the mending side and the managing side and the message side of, of this problem. So I think the message really comes in um, around the time I got my diagnosis. Um, kind of jumping back to six months previous, you know, I'm getting married. Two weeks before our wedding, my husband, you know, I was just like, making one last time, like, hey, you're a Christian, right? You know, we're going to be equally yoked. This is going to be great. And he looks at me and goes, you know, I really don't think I believe all of that. And I was like, oh, well, then we're calling off the wedding. Um, <laughs> but God gave me a piece about marrying him because I was very much ready to jump the boat and yeah. be like, cool, wedding's off. Luckily, we only planned on inviting about 20 people, so not too many people to disappoint. Um, so I was ready to bail, and God gave me a piece. It was, go ahead, continue. I've got a plan. A month later, I'm sick, and I'm like, cool, God, where's this plan of yours? Six months later, I get my diagnosis, and um, my doctor says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put in a pick line, and we're going to treat you with IV antibiotics for about six months is okay. what you can expect. And for people who are not medically inclined, a pick line is a way that they can give you stuff without poking you every time. Yes. So uh, the medicine specifically would burn a lot if they injected it right into a vein. So it was a little tube that went through my vein and emptied out right before my heart. Okay. Um, 
And so we were like, cool, gotcha. And we ordered two weeks worth of medication and the bill came in and the medication was going to be about $1,300 a week. Wow. Because uh, my insurance kicked it back and said, hey, we don't think this is the right treatment because it is slightly experimental, um, but it has been proven to work. But the CDC hasn't approved it yet. So my insurance was like, cool, you can do that on your own. <laughs> um, and so I'm out of a job because I can't walk. And my husband is a recent college graduate, you know, just started his job. And we're like, cool, uh, how are we going to come up with $1,300 a week for medication? And I talked to my husband. And I was like, but I can't keep living like this. Mm-hmm. I can't keep doing this. If there's a way for me to get better, we have to try. So we had ordered our two weeks. And we. I was like, okay, I know you don't believe in all this nonsense but let's pray let's be in (laughs) prayer and my husband was at that point where he was like well there's nothing really else we can do so let's try it and we hadn't told really anybody um about the price or that the medication had been uh kicked back the only people who knew were very close family members um so we started that process and i came to church you know, kind of a little broken, a little disappointed because I was like, finally got my diagnosis and now what am I going to do? And that Sunday, two people came up and said, God told me to give you this money. And they had, they knew I had the Lyme disease because it was very obvious since I couldn't walk. But I hadn't told anyone that we were in financial straits with this medication. So I was like, oh, that's weird. (laughs) take home money telling my husband um that same night there was eight hundred dollars taped to our door still have no idea who left that at our doorstep um and by the end of the week we had been donated just enough money to get me through those two weeks of medication and i my husband came up to me as we got the last donation from someone who still no one knew what was going on And he looked at me and goes, God is real. Mm -hmm. What do I do next? Yeah. And honestly, that moment was the moment that everything leading up to that, the Lyme disease, the not walking, the memory loss, all of that was okay. Yeah. Because by golly, if it's going to save my husband, I'll do it all over again. Yeah. Um, We were thankfully able to work with some connections. I worked at the hospital. Um prior to getting sick. So I had some connections with different doctors and I was able to mix the medication myself and administer it myself, which you're not supposed to do. So, (laughs) um, but we were able to bring it down to about $500 a month, which is still incredibly expensive for a couple of 20 year olds, 20 year olds just starting out in life. Um, but we were at least able to manage, um, and get me treated, uh, for the next six months. Uh, through that, you know, I saw my husband not only get saved, but become excited about coming to church because there were some weeks that I really didn't want to go. I was so sick. I, at this point, was in a wheelchair and I was like, yeah, I'm so tired. I am so sick. I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And he would, no, we got to go. We got to go to church. Yeah. You got to go to church. And he would drag me to church. <laughs> um, and that's, it was just so much hope and so much yeah. light in that. And, At that point, I had up to that point, you know, working in the hospital, you see a lot of grumpy people because no one comes to the hospital because they want to be there. Exactly. 
And I had made the decision very early on. I was like, I don't want to be that grumpy, sick person that no one can stand because they're grumpy and sick. Instead, I want to be like some of the patients that I had seen that even though they're sick and they're going through things, I was like, I want people still to enjoy my company. Mm-hmm. I want people to, despite my circumstance, think that I am a pleasant person. Right. Um, but after seeing my husband get saved from it, it no longer was a battle to be a happy person because yeah. I was just happy that God did have a plan. That six months ago when God told me it was okay, marry him, I've got a plan. The plan was inconvenient, but right. it was a plan. Yes. Um, so there was a lot of hope in that, and that stuck me through my treatment. Um, you said catch people up on where I am now. I am able to walk, and I'm able to run. Um, there are days that are very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, just last night, I had a very difficult time sleeping because my joints were in pain. Um, but we're able to, you know, do a low dose of antibiotics, suppress it again, and continue on with my life. And it's never interrupting my life anymore. And so now you're on uh, uh, just sort of a lifetime maintenance uh, of this. And it, it, does it, is it like you, you stopped it where it is and so it won't get worse, but it's not necessarily going to get better. You're just going to kind of maintain it and, and control. So fun thing about Lyme bacteria, uh, when you start treating it, when you start attacking it, it's smart enough to build a cocoon. Okay. And uh, it has a little chrysalis around itself and it hibernates. Uh, and it will hibernate till it feels like it's no longer under attack and it will reemerge. Okay. So the fun thing with treatment is that you treat yourself till you feel better and you're like, cool, treat you a little longer just to make sure you're feeling better. And then it's a sit and wait game. It's uh, sit wait and wait it comes back. and see how many and how much and how hard those Lyme bacteria resurface. Okay. Um, some people, they do get treated and they really don't have it resurface ever again. Mm-hmm. Some people it resurfaces after a couple of years. For me, it took about three months and I started uh, dealing with symptoms again. And we do just kind of target it, get it back into a suppressed state and continue on with my life. And then I'm guessing like so many other things where you're dealing with chronic medicine, are you having to do liver panels from time to time to make sure that everything's being processed out? Um, I lost my gallbladder from the medication. <laughs> so you don't have some gall? No gall. Uh, the gallbladder is gone uh, due to the medication. My main issue has been that it has destroyed my immune system. Mm. It's destroyed my gut. It took about a year and a half after medication for me to start feeling any semblance of normal again. Mm-hmm. I still, if I get sick, I'm going to be sick for a long time because my body is still fighting Lyme all the time. Yeah. And it's used to having the assistance of antibiotics that it really just has a really hard time with anything yeah. that pops up. Okay. And so um, for people who are listening that might be suffering with I can't figure out why I'm not feeling well and, and, and going through that that you went through. Is mm-hmm. there any um, anything that you can let them know, like symptoms that, you know, something that you would have known back then that might have uh, sped up your capacity to get diagnosed? So the first misconception is that you will find the tick. Lyme disease is a tick um, spread disease. Most... or more of people who suffer with Lyme disease never saw the tick because the type that are getting you are these very small, size of a sesame seed, uh, deer ticks in their um, nymph phase. 
they bite you, they suck for about 12 to 24 hours, and then they fall off of you. Mm. Um, and they never really get more than the size of a sesame seed. So most people's first misconception is, I never had a tick. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, I never saw my tick. But what I did have was a rash that developed that was diagnosed as ringworm. And that later I found out was the bullseye rash. Okay. That is uh, often misdiagnosed as ringworm. Um, Another thing was constant headaches. It's called the great imitator. There are a myriad of different uh, symptoms. So you can look up uh, the American Lyme Disease Foundation or... ALDF.com. They have great resources to, if you're really questioning what's going on, nothing's coming up, take, take a look, check the symptoms and see if some things line up. And if they do, I would suggest looking into Lyme literate doctors and getting the tests specifically that they do. Excellent. And so now your outlook on life is, uh, I mean, you don't seem like a person who's afraid to wake up. Mm -mm. And uh, you, you always seem to be bubbly Mariah. I have been so blessed. Um, not only has my husband come to Jesus through my situation, I've seen his brother who um, was in a very sticky situation when I joined the family. I've seen him get saved and turn his life just complete 180. Nuts, yes. Oh, he is so on fire for God, and it is so amazing to see. And my niece and nephew from my husband's side. Um, so I've seen a wildfire start Yeah. on that side of my family of just God doing incredible things. And so even when the symptoms come back or there's days that I feel very sluggish and crappy yeah lack of a better word at the time um i can always lean in that god had a plan and god had an amazing plan that um i got to be a part of i don't view it as something that happened to me i really do view it as something that i got to be a part of um their faith journey and their coming to know christ that's awesome and 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 i know for a fact that um i had met your brother-in-law and then I ran into him at something where I did not expect to see him because I was out of town and I happened to be in his town. And he came up and I was like, oh, dude. And he was like, you could feel the heat coming off of the guy because he is on uh, fire for God. I mean, it's just nuts how much this guy has changed. And I think that's just, I'm glad that you took the bullet for the family uh, because <laughs> uh, it's nice that you would. Um, well. I really appreciate you being here. I know that there's going to be people who have questions that I will be ill-equipped to ask. But if you want to ask questions of me, you can email me at bowtieguy at messituppodcast.com. Of course, intern Dave out there in beautiful Hawaii is info at messituppodcast.com. And Mariah, do you have an email that uh, people can, if they want to just talk to you or get your take on stuff, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Absolutely. They can send me a message to music at rcachurch.com. And uh, she will get back with you on that. And um, I just really, really, really appreciate you being here. Uh, If you are enjoying the show and you want people to know about it, there's a lot of things you can do. If you would be kind enough to go and give us a rating wherever you're listening to this, uh, give us a rating so that we can bump up in those um, search results. That would be outstanding. You can also uh, write a review, which helps us out just immeasurably. Well, I guess it is measurable because you can measure how much we came up, but 
it's awesome how much it helps us. So please review and rate us. Uh, you can also become a patron of the show by going to messituppodcast.com. Click on the Become a Patron button, and it'll take you to our Patreon page. For as little as a dollar a month, you can uh, financially support the podcast, and we uh, we really appreciate all that you do to do that. For all of our patrons out there, thank you so much. Um, we've got some special gifts coming uh, in 2020, including um, when I get the audiobook finished, uh, you'll be getting a chapter a week uh, of the audiobook for any level of patronage and for our... Um, uh, our, our upper levels will be getting a digital copy of the book as well. So uh, thanks to the patrons. Thanks for being here. Check us out on Facebook, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, and go see our Twitter account. Say something to us on Reddit. And, you know, we're really super excited about that brand new MySpace account that we opened up. So go check us out on MySpace. Say hello just so, you know, we can have fun old school. And uh, we will see you next time we mess it up. <laughs> Thanks for checking out the Mess It Up podcast. If you've got any questions or feedback, please email info at messituppodcast.com. Don't forget to share with your friends, and we'll see you next time we mess it up. Mess it up.